day, everyone. Chuck and Houdini spitting fire on today's show. We have a very, 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 let's throw four at you, very special guest, Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals and Bearcats. He gives his thoughts on the three and three who days entering the bye week and a full Bearcats preview as we are less than three weeks from tipping off year three of Wes Miller at Fifth Third Arena. NBA season tips off in a week. Our overall thoughts on the state of the association and is Victor Wembanyama truly basketball's newest superstar? Plus, the spread hunters are back climbing through the weeds. I've taken a commanding early lead over Houdini, but a lot of ball is left to be played. It's now time for the Real News Network with former blimp pilot and five-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, Houdini. Today on the news, a three-legged bear breaks into a Florida home and drinks white claws. Wyoming ranchers accused of bleaching penis shapes onto neighbors' cows. That's coming up on the 11 o'clock edition of the Real News Network. All right, Houdini, so let's start it off with the, uh, the first story I told you about. Crazy things continue to happen in Florida. A three-legged bear breaks into a Florida home, drinks white claws, it's a very long story. I went through the entire thing and I'm kind of spark noting this, but yeah, literally a, a three-legged bear that's known locally as tripod was caught on camera, breaking into a home in Lake Mary, Florida, helped itself to some snacks and adult beverages. Yes. The uninvited guest walked in, uh, the 13 year old son, Joseph and the family dog, Bruno were inside and they just literally turned the corner and they're like, oh, my God. The quote is, I've never been this close to a bear, Joseph said, the 13-year-old. Tripod then made himself at home, lumbered over to the family's mini fridge, opened the fridge. The, the son said, Joseph said, once I saw him open the fridge, quote, I got scared that he could open the door, open the other doors in the houses. Yeah, you think he opened the mini fridge. Um, tripod then... What did he do? He took three white claws, drank the three white claws, left very happy, this article says. His favorite flavor is mango and strawberry, the mother told WESH News. So, yes, the the the, the bear liked the mango and the strawberry white claw. This is a real thing. He was searching for booze. Tripod. How about it? I've, I've seen this quite a bit. The one thing that stood out to me just to start was naming that he's a three-legged bear and the nickname is Tripod. That's not that's not very PC. Imagine if it was a one-legged man and they're like, oh, there goes Pogo Stick. He's hopping <laughs> down the street. This would not fly. So this is pretty pretty sickening for, for this poor bear who's just trying to obviously booze up because he's got three legs. Um, but yeah, the... I don't know what's going on. I know Trey Wingo started it with seeing a bear apparently and his uh that he literally just made up. I don't know if you've ever checked into that story, but I feel like there's way too many videos now of bears just opening car doors, opening, jumping onto decks, going through houses, going to like um campsites and just grabbing s'mores from people. They're getting a little too close for comfort from what I've seen. And especially, I mean, this guy. Like you said, the the one guy goes, I, I realized I got a little scared when I realized he could open the fridge. He's in your house, buddy. Did that not scare you at all when he would, you know, a polar bear walked inside your damn house? So I don't know about you, but I think this is happening too often. Are we having a Planet of the Apes scenario with bears? Because that would be a little worse. The, the family said, quote, Tripod is a well-liked member of the neighborhood. He's like this neighborhood cat, Ron, that used to run around my hood in Lexington. Another quote in there, I was not scared because we know the bear really well. He lives here. We respect their habitat as much as we can. I'm looking at a picture of the bear. It's huge. I mean, that's scary stuff right there. So uh, a three-legged bear named Tripod breaks into a Florida home and apparently said, forget the lime white claws. I only want the mango and the strawberry one. So that's that's a real thing that's happening in Florida right now. It's always something down there in the swamp. Always something. And lately it hasn't that something hasn't been good football because the Gators stink. Although Florida State, they're in my playoff. If it ended today, Florida State, they're they're heading to the playoffs this year. They're great. Wyoming ranchers accused of bleaching penis shape onto neighbors' cows. So a feud between Wyoming ranchers boiled over when a father and son allegedly said, forget this. 
Our neighbors have taken this feud too far. So they went over and they marked the neighbor's cows with bleach, including drawing penis shapes on some of them. So this is a real life neighbors moment, uh, ranching style between not Zac Efron and Seth Rogen, but two random dudes in Wyoming that ended up turning into um, cows getting bleached. I mean, I mean, crazy stuff here. Did did you read the story and have a breakdown for the people? Uh, you know, I glanced at it. I, it was more so just the whole the whole thing. Why do people, all these feuds with neighbors, I see this shit. It's a felony. I, yeah, felony imagine, property destruction charges. But what could my neighbor possibly do for me to, like, I, I just don't care enough. I think more people need to be, you know, they need to care less. Do less. Just don't care. And then otherwise, you don't need to be taking bleach and dumping cows and covering them and drawing penises on them, guys. This is just not, it's not necessary. Um, I mean, what happened to just doing it that on the the dirt on a car window? That's a classic, guys. We don't need to bring the bleach out. We don't need to, what would you say? It was cows that now. Yeah, it was cows. What did the poor cows do? Now they're, they're, they're getting bullied by the other fucking farm animals because they got penises all over them. I bet you're happy, neighbor. Yeah, the the Carroll family. Um, The leader of the bunch is Patrick. He's 66. His son, Tucker, is 34. They funneled 189 heifers and six bulls into a chute and bleach dyed them to get the neighbor's attention after three years of having the cattle cross onto their land. So this is a land thing. That's what it all comes down to at the end of the day. Um, it's, It's a fight over land. And what did they do? They... They deface the cows. It's it's is not right, Houdini. It's not. Is this the latest season of Yellowstone? I know they were going kind of off the rails here. This this might be yeah the next season of Yellowstone. So they, that that show really fell off. Holy shit! Some had bleach marks around their faces. One photo displayed an attempt at drawing a penis on the cow's ribs. Notice they said an attempt at drawing a penis. It was a little bit crooked. Uh, didn't look right. No injuries though in the whole thing. So at the end of the day. Um, there may be some cows running around near Yellowstone with some penises on their skin, but aside from that, the cows are good to go. No animals were hurt in the process. I mean, it could be worse. I'm thinking of the, uh, when there was a feud between Auburn and Alabama and Harvey Updike went and poisoned their tree, you know, that Auburn fan or that Alabama fan rather went up to tumors corner and killed Auburn's tree. And knocked it off the face of this earth and then called Feinbaum. He said, I killed that tree. Tumor's corner's not going to be the same because that tree's gone. Those fans going to run up there with their toilet paper and they're going to have nothing to throw it on because it's dead. These people essentially did the same thing, um, but no cows were hurt in the process. They did receive criminal felony charges, but um, yeah. No injuries. We love the cows here on the chatter. All's okay, Houdini. All is okay. All right, NBA talk. I- I'm fired up, man. I'll tell you what. This is real facts. I own a 46% win percentage on NBA bets per the action app. It's the worst betting sport that I have by far. It's the only one that's under like 51%. It's at 46%. I've lost loads and loads of dollars over the years. And I, I'm fired up about it, man. I, I know that a lot of Cincy people don't get up for NBA. It's more of a college hoops town. NBA is great. It's a wonderful product. You get late games. You get games every day in general. Wonderful storylines entering this season. Just your overall thoughts on the NBA. It's it's good to be back, man, because truly, in college, in high school, whatever it was, so many people disrespect the NBA. They say it stinks. All you have to do is watch in June and and watch a fourth quarter of a game, and that's it. And I will say it has gotten pretty ridiculous over the years. A 20-point lead has evaporated in like two minutes nowadays. So if you are betting on these games, oh, yeah, and you have a team that's, you know, let's go with a a minus two spread, you go up by 21 points. In college, you're as safe as can be. In the NBA, you blow that every other night. Oh, I mean, it's it's in a, a roller coaster. It's probably my best gambling percentage um, is NBA, and that's not necessarily that I'm great NBA gambler. It's uh, more so that, as you've seen so far, my other sports aren't necessarily up to par right now. But um, I do like to watch the NBA quite a bit, and it's a little bit like you said. Everyone's like, they don't play defense. They don't, you know, blah blah blah. They don't try because they're not, you know, amateurs and blah blah blah. They don't go to school there. I mean, did you watch Titus Rubel shoot a mid-range jumper? 
Have you seen some of these college kids where the score is 36 to 38 with a minute left? It can get a little frustrating. And obviously those college kids are, are unbelievable at what they do, but to watch the NBA, it's such a smoother and cleaner product. I mean, it's light years different than watching a college basketball game. I mean, some guys don't can't finish left-handed layups in college still. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air to see some of these NBA games, but you're right. A lot of times, you know, fourth quarters really when people are going to start kicking on the, the high gears and then obviously playoff basketball is incredible, but um, I don't know. I think the storylines, the rivalries, like you said, we got a lot of, I mean, there's what, there's probably 10 teams that are, you know, in that title contention right now. So we're not looking at the years when the, you know, like KD played for Golden State. Those years kind of sucked because they were the best team by far. Um, so I'm excited. I think the the it's wide open this year. Let's start it off with the biggest topic in the association, and it's not even debatable. Zion Williams. No, I'm kidding. We'll get to Zion Williamson in a second because I am still under the impression that if Zion can get healthy, He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I will die on that hill. I will die on that hill. I mean, he's been a stud when he plays. Superstar. Like, he's yeah. he's one of I the mean, top 10 best crazy. players. It's not that crazy. But he's not the biggest storyline, obviously. If he does play, the Pelicans have a pretty nice team. But I think it's Victor Wembanyama. I think there's no doubt about it that entering year one, we've heard the buzz for the last three years now. He's essentially a created player on NBA Live 2002 where you can put a shooting at a his shooting's not a 99, but he does have touch. We've seen it. He can handle it like a point guard. He's about seven foot four. He's a skinny son of a bitch, but I'll tell you what, he's changing the game with how he plays. You watch some of his highlights. He takes one dribble at the three point line, goes in and dunks without even jumping. It is incredible stuff. If he could stay healthy, I think that he has a chance to potentially change the game. Are you on board with him? You know, being a generational type talent, someone that comes in right away and he's like Kevin Durant was year one with the Sonics, or is this going to take a minute? Because during the summer league, after Britney Spears almost hit him in the face, he did look pretty shaky. But so far in the preseason, he's shown the talent that I think we all know he has. Oh, yeah. And I think you're still getting plus odds for him being rookie of the year, um, which is kind of crazy because if you watched any of the preseason um, he's a literal, I think we say this every year, we're like, this guy's an alien and this is the closest to a, a real alien. He's like seven, four and he's doing, st you don't typically see these seven foot plus guys doing step back jumpers. The closest you saw was like a Durant like, and he's got like four inches on Durant. So if he can stay healthy and put on, he doesn't even really need to put on weight. He's going to get bullied a little bit early. Um, but like we, we saw, you know, when, Remember when Kevin Durant couldn't bench like 135 like eight times? There was like Doug Gottlieb was like, he can't be a first-round pick. You can't take him. It Clearly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, this guy, if he stays healthy, I would be shocked if he isn't, you know, a multiple, multiple-time all-star. I don't want to claim he's going to be a Hall of Fame player without playing a single regular season game. Um, but then again, you got, you got your boy Chet Holmgren, too, who's very similar build. Um, and he kind of does a lot of the same stuff. So I'm interested to see those two battle. Hopefully we don't have like a crazy, I mean, if you're, if you're seven foot four and you move like that, how does your, your ACL not explode like every other day? That's my question. That's what I'm worried about. That's a good question, man. There was a guy that played for Stanford. His name was, uh, Maxime Raynaud. And I was doing a one-on-one -on -one with Maxime and he played with, Victor in France. And I asked him straight up. I'm like, you've seen the Pac-12. You saw Victor in France. If we picked him up right now for the French League and put him in the Pac-12, let's say playing USC tomorrow, what would his stat line be? He was like, oh, it would be 26 points, 15 rebounds, nine blocks per game. I'm like, there is no damn way that this guy's going to step over here, average 26, 15, and nine for an entire season in the Pac-12. And if he does... If Maxime Reno is that good an evaluator of talent and he means it, then we are talking about potentially forget LeBron James. We're talking about maybe the next Wilt Chamberlain, because you see those old videos of Wilt 
And I feel like Wilt's disrespected. You, you talk like top 10 NBA players of all time, and Wilt's always teetering at like seven or eight. I mean, the dude put up 100 in a game. He was scoring like 45 points per contest. I know everyone says, oh, it's it was a different time. Look yeah. at his stats of the 70s, and they were a little different. Well, he was also very old in the 70s. Just watch one of his old highlight tapes of that grainy video it's literally like a deer. It's like Sasquatch is literally running down the court. Um, you know, those created players or those players that you'd unlock an NBA jam, like the Yeti oh, hell and, yeah. uh, and, and Biggs and, and Tashaki <laughs> and all those dudes. He was literally like the Yeti running down the floor, just throwing down. I mean, Will Chamberlain was truly one of a kind. And I think that, you know, could he be the next Will Chamberlain? He plays completely different. He's more of a guard, I'd say, than Will. But Will could run the floor like Victor. Um, but I think that's the closest comparison I have with the height, the way that he moves, the domination. Um, I'm excited to see him play. I'm excited to see him drink some muscle milks and beef up, man. Because if he could get some post moves down low, oh, baby. Oh, baby. It's going to be fun to watch this guy for years. Yeah, no, we'll we'll see. He's going to have some growing pain. Somebody's going to put him on his ass early because he he weighs like a buck 60. He's going to get put on his ass quickly. Um, and the people are going to start, he's a little shaky with his handles and I don't blame him cause he has to dribble, you know, 15 feet in the air just to put it on the ground. Um, but he'll, I, I'm assuming he's going to clean it up. He seems like a good kid from all accounts. I honestly was watching him and Chet Holmgren play and I, and I was just mesmerized. I was like, who would win in a fist fight between those two? I, that, that's something, I mean, I know we're doing like Logan Paul is fighting like some dumbass YouTuber. If we could ever get a Chet Victor Wembenyama, I know that'll never happen. Oh, we'll get it. We'll get it. I, probably when 20, they're 40. like 46. Yeah, 20, yeah, 40. 20, yep. 20, 40. All right. So I'm waiting on that. But yeah, until <laughs> until the the boxing match of those two, um, the, that's going to be a – and it's nice that they're both on kind of shitty teams. Those will be good league pass games because they won't be in contention really. Except that Thunder – They'll be in the playoffs, I believe. Um, they're they're not, sneaky, they're not man. Ready yet. Shea Gilgis yeah. Alexander is one of my favorite players in the league, which is actually a perfect segue to talking about the Los Angeles Clippers because they had Shea Gilgis Alexander. They gave him up to get Paul George. So far, the Paul George Kawhi Leonard experiment has not worked out. Although, when they've been healthy on the floor at the same time, they've been pretty good. You just know. I mean, at this point, we're talking four or five straight years of these two together or three, four years of these two together. And you just know it doesn't matter how healthy they are in the regular season. There is absolutely no chance in hell that these two are going to be on the floor come playoff time. Do they scare you at all in terms of being a title contender? I don't know if scare is the right word, but do they, uh, do they give you they any scare me? They could win a championship. Yeah, they do scare. Yeah, they, they, they scare yeah, me they at scare all times. Me. Yeah. I, I've said for like, I, I mean, I, it was a few years straight where I'm like, I love this roster when healthy. And I, I would kept saying before the year started that you got to watch out for the Clippers in every goddamn year. Like in half of it, Kawhi just won't play. He just straight up is like, yeah, like I just don't, I don't play hoops. They're like, well, we're paying you $45 million. He's like, ah, just not, I'm just really not interested today. I think my groin's hurting me. It, it's unbelievable. Like I, I love Paul George. He's probably my favorite. Um, I, I just think he's he's good at everything. There's really no weakness in his game. You could kind of say the same thing about Kawhi, but he just seems more it's it's brute strength and just athleticism where he dominates you. He's also very skilled, but Paul George is so smooth out there. And it's just been and you know, you got Steve Ballmer having an an aneurysm every game, just convulsing on the sidelines. Can can they just play a season for my guy Ballmer? I mean, he made he invented fucking Ballmer. whatever, Microsoft. He's he's done everything he can. Can we just please win or at least be healthy for a whole year? That's all I ask. Win Ballmer a championship. Denver wins the championship last year, and what was the narrative the entire time that the Nuggets were running through the playoffs? Oh, this team is boring. This team is so boring. You're right. They're so boring and so good that we're not going to talk about them at all because they're going to be dominant once again. Can they win it all is the question. A couple of teams that are going to be fighting them, a trio of teams, the Phoenix Suns, who now have Bradley Beal. DeAndre Ayton's gone. He's up in Portland. Bradley Beal is thrown into the mix. So it's Beal, it's Booker, and it's Durant. Are you kidding me? That's like an all-star lineup. That, that's your one, two, and three right there. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks? 
They're favorites in the East, potentially. They're fighting with the Boston Celtics. Of those three, Suns, Bucks, Celtics, who are you most excited to turn on game one of League Pass? I, I guess they'll all be on national TV, so you won't even need League Pass. Yeah, thank God. Uh, League Pass are jacking that up lately. Um, I, I mean, that's impossible to answer. I want to see all three of them play. They're, I I guess the Celtics are the least intriguing for me to watch just because I've seen it, and I know they did add Drew Holiday, but I mean, they, they, God damn, they got Chris Dobbs too. And Porzingis. Yeah, they got Porzingis, baby. Chris Dobbs was Wembenyama before he existed. He was the first alien off the ship, and he's kind of had a very middle-of-the-road career so far. I mean, he's been good, but people are acting like he was going to be the next you know, unicorn or what have you. So hopefully my boy Victor doesn't have that type of career. Granted, all things considered, I love when we say that. They're like, we're like, oh, Chris Dobbs is a bust. It's like he's, he averages like 19 a game and 10 he's rebounds good player. in the NBA. Yeah. yeah, he's very good. So I, I would say I I want to see the Suns. Um, I want to see KD, Booker, Bradley Beal. I don't really know what the the whole Aiton trade was about. I know that he kind of quit on the team, but who did they get again? What was uh, – they got the kid from Portland. Not the kid. He's like fucking 32 years old. The center. Why am I blanking on his name? Let's Did they get see. Nurkic? Yeah, they got Nurkic. I didn't Nurkic. Even know they had Nurkic. Honestly, yeah. and I love the NBA, but it was it was a wild offseason. I mean, players are getting dealt left and right. The Bucks it might as well be I college. Mean, at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm blanking on who the Bucks it's the transfer got. They portal. Got, they got one of the best players in the Dame NBA. Lillard. I'm blanking on it. Yeah, they just got Dame Lillard. They got Dame Lillard. The Sunset Bradley Beal. I mean, if you blinked this offseason, if you just went into the wild and didn't really check up on the association you're going to be in for a treat when you turn on game one you're going to be like what? chris paul's on the golden state warriors they hated chris paul what is going on here it was the offseason of just mayhem and you're about to find out when you turn on your league pass game one and see bradley beal put up 35 with the suns and dame lillard next to Giannis. oh what a combo that's gonna this be. is why dad's hate the nba man like if i turn it on and my dad sees like dame lillard playing for the bucks he he may die right there he might he might just hit the floor back in my day they played for they played for a team their whole careers and they never left granted they didn't win championships and nobody respects them but they stayed like dame should have stayed in portland so i'm gonna whatever i can do is um keep the you know nba tv as far away from tim as possible uh this year and i recommend you do the same to your fathers because they'll start talking about defense back in their day and how the 90s was a much better nba because people got you know clotheslined when they went to the rim so there you go oh my prime time era was vince carter raptors tracy mcgrady magic Allen iverson on the sixers reggie miller on the pacers that you know and jordan bleeding into that on the wizards that was my era of the nba but it was also you know, 2003 or, or 1999, whatever it was when you're a little bit younger, eh? when you're 30 years of age. So all sports are just a little better because there's that there's that nostalgia factor when you look back on it. But I mean, the game has never been better. When you look around the league today, you, you were talking about it at the beginning. There's like 10 teams that have a legit chance to win it. Denver, I, I think they're one of the favorites heading into this season. They could be like fifth in the West. You got Phoenix we're talking about. You got the Clippers we're talking about. The, I mean, I don't know about the Lakers. I don't know about the Warriors. But two teams right there, the Grizzlies, they have to wait for John Morant to get back 25 games. Kings. And they no longer have Dylan Brooks. But the Kings are sneaky. De'Aaron Fox is a superstar. So the association's incredible. And for those people out there that say, I'm a college basketball fan. They just they don't play hard in the NBA. Look, I love college basketball, too but it's not the same as it was 10 years ago. I mean, the the game has changed completely. I mean, take the Cincinnati Bearcats, for example. They've had two players in Jay Sarola and Rapless Ivanowskis just quit like two games into the season. They're just like, eh, I'm, I'm out. See ya. I'm, I'm heading over to Europe to play. Like, that's a real thing nowadays. It's just not what it once was. The transfer portal is revelant. Um, Watching Landers Nolly go for 20 is not the same as watching Sean Kilpatrick go for 20 because you don't grow up with these guys. You know, it's different when it's right. a Gary Clark and you, and you nurture him and you watch him all four years and you just don't see it as much as you used to. So when you do see it at the collegiate level, it makes you warm and fuzzy inside. And I think Wes Miller is doing that. And that is how we segue to Dan Horde. Very special guest on the chat today. It's the voice of the Bengals, the voice of the Bearcats. 
it's Dan Hort. You know, some people in life, they can't wait to see Santa Claus. That, that's their that's their big person of interest that they want to meet. To me, when I heard Dan Hort speak to me for the first time, shook my hand, said, Charlie, nice to meet you. It was like meeting Santa Claus. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Listen to his voice on the radio for a very long time, which probably makes him feel a little bit old right now. But he's a veteran in this industry. Uh, very lucky that the city of Cincinnati has him for the Bearcats and the Bengals. And we're getting into his entire journey right now. But first, welcome on the show, Dan. How are you tonight? Charlie, I'm great. Thank you for the kind words. Much, much appreciated. Uh, unlike Santa Claus, there will be no gifts at the end of this uh, interview, but uh, I'm the lucky one. I appreciate you saying that, but uh, fate worked out very well for me. I didn't grow up in Cincinnati, but it's home now, and I've got two great jobs that I love, so uh, I do consider myself to be the lucky one, not the people listening. No doubt about it. Syracuse guy had your first TV job in Syracuse, and you started out doing a little bit of play-by-play, -play, but also local TV. And I guess your biggest break out of the gate was getting the sports director position at Fox 19 in Cincinnati around the time where the Bearcats were on TV. Fox 19 landed the, the TV rights of the Cincinnati Bearcats with a coach named Bob Huggins and players like Melvin Levitt and Kenyon Martin and Steve Logan. Going back to that moment, do you ever reflect on how much that gig and just landing those games changed your career, the trajectory from going to local TV to play-by-play? -play? Well, I do. Let me backtrack a little bit, though, Charlie, because my real big break was when I graduated from Syracuse and I was hired as the voice of the Syracuse Chiefs, the AAA baseball team in Syracuse. I had dreamed of being a baseball announcer when I was young, so the chance to do AAA ball uh, right out of college was huge. Then I became a TV person in Syracuse, and I enjoyed doing that. But one of the reasons why I was interested in taking the job at Fox 19 was the fact that they had that UC basketball contract. Back then, they did every game that wasn't on network TV, and those were quite a few games back then. It was anywhere from 10 to 15 games a year. So when I moved to Cincinnati and I started doing those games, it was 1996. The Bearcats were number one in the country. I did the games on TV for four years. The last year, they were number one in the country. Kenyon's senior year, they were in the top 10 every year. You mentioned some of the names, but it was Fordson, Rubin, Kenyon, Melvin, Logan, Satterfield. I mean, not only Meeker. great players. Yeah, Meeker as well. Not <laughs> only great players, and they were great players, but charismatic players, players that were fun to watch, fun to be around, uh, definitely energized the fan base. So I was really fortunate to do the games on TV for that four-year period. It was great for me professionally and personally. Professionally, because the telecasts were great. David Ashbrock produced those games. He's got something like 50 Emmys on his mantle. He's one of the most uh, accomplished TV people in the Cincinnati market and did a magnificent job. Those games looked as good back then as anything on ESPN or CBS or anywhere. So it was uh, great for me to just be part of that package because the games are so well done. And then personally, it was great for me because I think it kind of established me in the uh, Cincinnati market as a play-by-play -play person. Uh, I, I got to know so many great Bearcat legends and really became you know, infatuated with the program. So it, it really was a great break for me. Blast from the past, just hearing the words, tonight American Idol takes a Bearcat bounce as Cincinnati <laughs> looks to demolish DePaul. Did you always do it on purpose to where you had the first letter of said adjective um, before the, the team's name? Like if you said South Florida, it was, they looked to spank South Florida. I don't know if you used that one, but it was always, you know what I'm talking about, right? Was that on purpose? Uh, it was on purpose, but I can't take credit. So those opens were typically scripted by David Ashbrock. He uh, really put his uh, imprint on the telecast. So he liked alliteration. Uh, that is the proper term for that, I believe. And uh, he wrote some great teases at the beginning of those telecasts that I was uh, happy to read and sound good reading. So you've obviously covered, you know, um, some of the best coaches in UC history, most notably, at least personally, was Bob Huggins. And we know he can get a little fiery, especially, you know, during games um, and in the post games. Did 
Did you and Bob ever butt heads at all as far as from a question that you asked or just a comment that you made on the call? Was that ever something that popped up for you? I'm, I'm assuming it was, but just curious there. <laughs> you assume correctly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we butted head of, heads a few times. It wasn't necessarily about uh, something that I said on a Bearcat broadcast. You know, unfortunately, there were some issues during those years where the news side of my Fox 19 job came into play and um, you know, just sometimes reporting things that were not favorable for the program, uh, caused an issue. I think in coach Huggins mind, Fox 19 was televising the games. Maybe they should have been, uh, 100% pro Bearcats at all times. And unfortunately, when there's a news side to things, you can't do that. You have to report the news. So in some of those instances, uh, coach Huggins was upset and made his feelings known and, you know, I got called to the principal's office a few times, but having said that, we had a tremendous relationship during the 14 years that uh, that I was here while he was the head coach. And, uh, you know, I've, I've rooted for him ever since. I'm thrilled that he's in the Hall of Fame. It's unfortunate what happened to him that uh, ended his career at West Virginia. But hopefully, you know, over the years or as the years go by, people won't fixate on that and they'll remember the unbelievably successful career that he's had. I know Hudson has a question about the uh, the crosstown shootout fight. I was at that game. I walked out with about four minutes left at Centos Center, hopped in the car. It was one of the few times that I wanted nothing to do with your post-game coverage, Dan. I, I turned on some music and said, I don't want to listen to anything Bearcats related. It was another loss at the Centos Center. I got home and my dad says, Oh, you, you see, you see the fight? You you see what went down? I'm like, what are you talking about? What fight? Take me back to that moment. Obviously, you can't prepare for something like that. You're on the call courtside. What's going through your head as you see, I guess, Gilon Gwen get up in uh, two Holloway's face? Well, I think a lot of people that were there that day sensed that something like that might happen. I remember going to get a Coke at halftime and running into Xavier's athletic director at the time, Mike Babinski, and we both said to each other, I hope the officials get control of this game because something might happen. You could just feel the tension. Obviously, it was a lopsided game, and and that, uh, I think, added to it. So I, I didn't certainly expect it to be a brawl of that magnitude, but I can't say that I was completely shocked that things got out of hand. And then as a broadcaster, when something like that happens, uh, you just try to be as descriptive as you can possibly be. So uh, it uh, it was the one time I've done boxing play by play, unfortunately, and hope that I don't ever do it again. How was uh, how was Mick Cronin? Uh, we all I know we all saw, and as a, as fellow mem members of the uh, of the Bald Club over here uh, with uh, Mick, yourself, and, and me. How was his reaction? You probably spoke with him after that game. I know he had the press conference where he said, I, I don't know if I have a job anymore. I was just curious, what was um, what was Mick like? And you can even kind of go broader than that, working with Mick, um, obviously so close that you did. Well, I thought he handled himself in the post-game news conference incredibly well after that event. I really thought it was kind of a turning point moment for him because I think – you know, he he came in under challenging circumstances. People didn't want Coach Huggins to leave. Uh, I think anybody that had replaced him would have faced a lot of scrutiny scrutiny in those early years and uh, took a while for Mick to get the program where he wanted it to go. So that was challenging. Uh, but I think a lot of Bearcat fans heard what he said that day and thought, you know what, this guy's got his heart in the right place. He loves the university. He loves the city. And uh I thought that was a good moment for him. But before he did that news conference, typically the UC coach will come out and join me and my color commentator courtside for the post-game interview. In that case, he wasn't going to come walking out into the Cintas Center after what had transpired. So I went into a, like an auxiliary locker room. It was just me and him in that locker room to do a post-game interview. And, you know, he was as tense as anybody I've ever been around for obvious reasons. Um, and he handled himself well in that interview. And then, like I said, I thought he really handled himself ex extremely well when he addressed everybody in his post-game news conference. And Mick Cronin is, I would say on the Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati soundbites in, in uh, of all time, you didn't realize it in the moment, 
But when you go back after and listen to some of his sound bites and the quotes that he had, and not just that press conference, but, you know, after some of his losses where he got really intense or after wins where he said, we're having, you know, we're having tryouts where everyone on campus is invited, you know, it, just some of the stuff that he said, I, I miss that. Um, you know, Wes is, is a lot of things, incredible recruiter, great coach, ton of charisma, but he doesn't give you those same sound bites. And I know that Daneman and Rao and those guys at Fox 19 and, and just throughout the tri-state um, are, are missing those Mick Cronin sound bites that they can play on the 11 p.m. news. But uh, let's go with Dan Hordes, Mount Rushmore of UC Hoops games. I have a, uh, I have a four pack for you here. Obviously, okay. Mount Rushmore, it's four. I want to see if I'm missing anything or if I just completely missed all four. Ooh, you may have not nice. called some of these. I, I don't know about the timeline, but it sounds okay. like if you were it's calling games, in, uh, yep, if you were calling games in '96, I, I like to think that I have all these games down. Okay. All right, so we're going with in no order. Field Williams shot against Louisville to send it into overtime where the, the UC team was wearing the Jordan Deuce trays, the one white shoe, the one black shoe. I remember that vividly. Incredible atmosphere. Uh, Dick Vitale was at the game. Field jumped up on the scorer's table. Love it. Logan outscores Southern Miss. That, that's a given. I was at that game, actually. Got the tickets for Christmas. The fact that a player outscored a Division One team in a not power conference, but from the Conference USA – is truly remarkable to this day. I would say Syracuse as number two in Madison Square Garden going down. And then I would say the last win over XU at Fifth Third Arena where Copain hit a deep three. And it was really the introduction of Jaron Cumberland as a Bearcat. Am I am I missing anything? Did I miss all four? Give that was pretty me. good. That was pretty good. So you tipped me off when we corresponded before doing this that you wanted my Mount Rushmore of UC basketball games. So I wrote down four, and you actually have two of the four. So I'm very impressed. I had the Steve Logan 41 Southern Miss 37 game from February of 2002. Bearcats actually won the game 89 to 37. But Steve Logan is one of two Bearcats all time to have outscored the opposition. The Big O did the same thing when he was 19 years old at Madison Square Garden. First year that he was eligible to play a sophomore year. He had 56. Seton Hall had 54. And I got great mileage out of that game over the years because Chuck Mayshock was Oscar's road roommate for that game in New York City. And uh, every time the anniversary would come up, I would point out that that was the night that Oscar Robertson and his road room roommate, Chuck Mayshock, combined for 56 points. Oscar had 56, Chuck didn't score. So uh, the Steve Logan game is on my list. Uh, Cincinnati beating my alma mater, Syracuse is on the list. Syracuse was 31-1. and going into that Big East tournament game. That was the only game that Syracuse lost that year where their great center, Fab Mello, was eligible. A uh, couple of things stand out. Cincinnati could not miss from outside the arc in the first half. Kashmir Wright was pulling up one step past the center court stripe and banging home threes. All were. They all were. Kilpatrick, Parker. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they had a 17-point lead. The Cuse, as you would expect, you know, they start whittling it down. They get it down to two. Cincinnati has to inbound the ball in the backcourt, and they do what very few coaches have the nerve to do. They throw the deep ball, jumping jack, Justin Jackson catches it, flushes it for the clinching dunk. So uh, even though it was my alma mater and a lot of my college buddies were there because it was at the Garden, uh, that's definitely on my Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati games. I'm going with February of 98, UC 75 to Paul 38, Kenyon's first of his two triple doubles. Now, this was his sophomore year. He had averaged 2.8 points a game as a freshman, so we really didn't think of him as an offensive threat at that point. And in that game, 24 points, 23 rebounds, 10 blocks. It was really the first time that we got a glimpse of what he would become when he was the national player of the year. So the game itself was nothing special, but the individual performance was so incredible that that makes my Mount Rushmore. And then unfortunately there's a loss on my Mount Rushmore of Cincinnati games, Gonzaga 74, Cincinnati 69, Salt Lake Chuck. City 2003. When your broadcast partner gets ejected from an NCAA tournament game, 
that winds up on your Mount Rushmore, even if the game didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. To see Chuck uh, or haul him out of his chair and walk his butt out of the arena after popping off to uh, official Mike Kitts, it's got to make my it's got to make my Mount Rushmore just because uh, I'm the only announcer in history whose partner got kicked out of an NCAA tournament game. That is incredible stuff. When you saw Chuck after that game, did he just have a big smile on his face? Was he kind of, was he pumped about it? Was he like, can you believe what I just did, Dan? I just, I just made history. Or at the time, was he still somewhat fuming, like Cronin after the crosstown shootout that he didn't get to finish the game? More than somewhat fuming. I think Chuck wanted to uh, find out where the officials were staying in Salt Lake City and try to go get a piece of Mike Kitts. Uh, But Chuck, to his credit, uh, you know, endured the jokes for the rest of his life about that game. I would always update his consecutive game streak of not being ejected at the end of every broadcast, uh, which, you know, a lot of people got a kick out of that. In his first game after the ejection, a buddy of mine who uh, has a local car, car dealership gave me like a car harness seatbelt that we put on his chair to make sure that he did not get up uh, during the course of the game to get ejected. So, Chuck was the best. I miss him. Uh, it was a one-of-a-kind friendship, and uh, that moment was certainly one that uh, very few of us will ever forget. No doubt about it. <laughs> um, and uh, kind of going off that, I know you just listed off a, a ton of players. So this is going to be a, a tough question, but yep. what was, as far as a, a player that you covered, who was the most fun player? Uh, we can put X player because obviously they got the current guys on the roster, um, excluding John Meeker, of course. But who was your your most fun player, let's say? And if you want to list a couple, that's fine. But most fun player to cover for you? Melvin Levitt. No hesitation on the answer whatsoever. Mel, to me, was the most entertaining player that we've had of all these great players. He wasn't the best, although he was a great player. But for sheer entertainment, the dunks, the threes, the diving over chairs, going after loose balls. He just had a flair and charisma, I think, unlike any other player that I've seen in a Bearcat uniform. The only player that I've watched in college basketball that even compares for me was Pearl Washington when I was at Syracuse. And you two guys are are too young to really remember the Pearl. Uh, but just a guy that you couldn't take your eyes off him because of the the flair and the charisma and Mel had that in spades. Uh, I, you know, I had the opportunity to call the famous dunk against Alcorn State, where he comes out of the rafters and flushes home the miss from Dewan Baker. I think uh, I made noises that only my wife uh, was supposed to hear on uh, describing that dunk. But, uh, you know, Mel, Mel's my guy. When it comes to just a favorite guy to watch, a person that I found to be the most entertaining, the helicopter was my guy. When you watch that back in, in real time, because I think it's one of the greatest, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show and I'm biased because I, you know, have been listening to you for years and years, but just the like, I mean, was that you that went with the O? Was it your 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 color commentator comes out of the rafters to jam it home? I have never seen anything like that yeah. in my life. Like that yeah. is incredible stuff that you're not prepared for. I mean, you know, at any time, Mel can do something crazy. James White could do the same thing. But I mean, to see that go down real time, was that just a reactionary call? Like comes out of the rafters to jam at home. Were you planning on that? Like if I ever get one that's so damn good, I'm going to sneak this one in there. Like give it to me, break that down. Yeah, no, that's, that's just reacting. Um, you know, hopefully in those moments you say something that fits. And I'm glad you liked that call. I was working with Anthony Buford at the time, and I thought Anthony was great as well. Anthony was the person that did the, oh, and then uh, after I finished saying what, what I said, he followed with some great material after that. So, you know, that dunk gets replayed often. So I'm glad that uh, people seem to have liked that call. It was certainly a great, uh, a great thing to witness. What do you think about the team this year? I, I have just received news. This is actually breaking. We're recording this on a Tuesday night that Aziz Bandango and Jamil Reynolds will not be eligible this year. We'll fact check it and snip this out of the podcast if that is not the case. With that being said, now that the Bearcats don't have their, their two bigs entering the Big 12, it's going to be Sage Tolentino. It's going to be Victor Lockin and Odio Guama down low. Size is going to be an issue once again. Houston, I would imagine, will give them some fits. 
But you add in Jizzle James, you add in Simas Lukosius, you add in uh, Rayvon Griffith and a, a bunch of these transfers slash freshmen, your overall thoughts on how good this team can be. I, I think we're pointing to next year, West Miller's team really taking off and, and having potentially like a top 15 talent again. But this year, could they sneak up on some people or is it going to be a, uh, a learning curve? Well, I certainly hope there are still appeals if that news that you shared is in fact the case and Aziz and Jamil are not eligible. That's a big factor. Now we saw with North Carolina football that there were, you know, legal uh, issues and lawyers got involved and eventually their wide receiver got to play. Maybe something like that can happen with UC's big guys. Uh, watching Aziz practice, he's a pro. I have never seen a better finisher on alley-oops than Aziz Bandago. When Cincinnati played Utah Valley in the NIT last year, I watched a couple of Utah Valley games uh, to prepare for the broadcast, and I'm thinking to myself, this is like the most undisciplined team I've ever seen. They throw alley-oops from everywhere. As soon as they get a rebound, they're like throwing it 75 feet and see if this guy can dunk. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And as a, a person just watching those games, I'm thinking, this is crazy. What are they doing? Well, now I know what they were doing. I mean, Aziz, Aziz Bandego is unbelievably gifted at catching and finishing alley-oops from anywhere because he can get his hand to the top of the backboard. He's got great timing. He's got huge hands. It is a weapon. And obviously, he's a tremendous a shot blocker. He was third in the country in that category last year. So if they had him, just him, even if Jamil weren't eligible, I think they have a chance to be really good. If they get them both, I'm pretty confident they'll be really good. If they don't have either, I think they're still going to be solid and entertaining. Uh, Victor Locken's a good player, and he's almost seven feet tall. I don't know how much Sage will play at this point. Odie plays bigger than his height. Uh, you know, he plays a four-man game, even though he doesn't necessarily have the ideal size for that position. And they've added shooting with with CJ and Lukosius. So I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I'd like to think they can be uh, very competitive in the Big 12, but obviously it's a brutal league. So it's going to be interesting to see how well they do. Yeah, and with um, Aziz specifically, because we all watched that game and we were watching, you know, Utah Valley, and I'm going, who, um, who is this guy? He looks mm -hmm. like he's playing for the L.A. Clippers, and he's playing at Utah Valley. Do you have any, you know, insight as far as, because um, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, we need to get this guy on our team. Um, and how Wes recruited Aziz specifically. Um, obviously, he had entered the portal, and then, you know, Wes um, went after him there. Is there any story behind how he um kind of came to find Aziz in the portal? I don't know the story yet. I'll eventually know it. <laughs> um, you know, Aziz played at Akron the year before he played at Utah Valley. So he's got some Ohio ties. I think that was part of his appeal process in trying to get eligible this year. Uh, Abdul Adu is on the coaching staff. I think those two have hit it off based on the practices that I've seen. So you know, Wes is a really good recruiter as well, so don't underestimate that. I'm sure that the fact that uh, they played Utah Valley, lost to Utah Valley, and Wes had the opportunity to see him face-to-face, -face, Wes was probably able to say to him, listen, I know what you're capable of, of and I know what we can do for your game. Uh, but aside from that, I don't know a lot of the inside nuggets about the, the recruitment, and uh, I look forward to finding them out. I would imagine that it was kind of like the situation where I think it was John Brannon and Rapalus Ivanowskis. After the game, he just kind of went up to him in the handshake line and said, hey, bud, you ever decide to transfer? <laughs> Cincinnati could be home for you because uh, there, there's no doubt about it. It'll be a nice fit. Let's uh, go one more on the Bearcats before we switch to the Bengals real quick and get you out of here. Jizzle James, I know that you're excited to see the uh, – See the Hall of Famer, Adrian James, in the stands this upcoming season. Is Jizzle someone from day one that you think can make an instant impact, or is he going to be like most freshmen out there where it takes a little bit of time? It's not optional in this case. They need a point guard, and the two guys are both newcomers, and they're both young. So Day-Day Thomas or Jizzle James, it'll be, you know, one or the other is going to be the starter, and they're both going to have to play a lot. They're both interesting players. Day-Day is incredibly explosive. 
I thought that would be the case with Jizzle, and it is. I mean, I guess I knew it would be the case with Jizzle, and now I found out from watching them that it's also the case with Day Day. They're both incredibly athletic. Uh, not great outside shooters at this point. They're not terrible. I think they can, you know, keep a defense honest with their outside shooting, unlike some point guards that, you know, we had back in the day. But I don't think either guy is going to be confused for Steph Curry. Uh, but they're both great penetrators. They both have incredible athleticism. I think they'll be good defenders over the course of time. It usually takes freshmen a little while to develop on that end of the court, but they're both going to play a lot. So uh, we're going to see them right off the bat. All right, Dan, let's switch it over to the Hootays. Three and three entering the bye week. They come off that performance against Seattle where the defense was bending all game. And when you just when you thought potentially the defense would break, Late in the contest, they, they come up with stops. The The defensive penetration up front was incredible. One of the best Bengals defensive line moments that I have seen in my lifetime, really. I mean, it, it seemed like six of the last nine plays, they were back there affecting the play, whether it was a sack or just affecting the play in general on Geno Smith. Where do you stand with the Bengals right now? Are they better than their record, worse than their record, or are they just mediocre right now with a lot of room to grow? I think they're better than the record now that Burrow is healthy. Um, if Joe had had the mobility that he's had the last two weeks for six games instead of two games, they would be better than three and three. He wasn't Joe Burrow for the first four weeks. He was the Statue of Liberty. He wasn't moving. Opposing defenses didn't have to worry about pass rush integrity. They, there was no threat of him scrambling. So they just pointed at a spot and said, all right, that's where he's going to be. Let's go get him. And it wasn't just the front four, or just the front four, but it was also blitzers on second and long and third and long that knew we don't have to worry about this guy moving around in the pocket or scrambling. There's the spot. Go get him. So that's no longer the case on three of his touchdown passes in the last couple of weeks. He's bought a ton of time in the red zone before delivering a BB. So I think they're going to be good um, coming out of the bye because Joe Burrow is healthy. And a healthy Joe Burrow, it, it pretty much speaks for himself. He's one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the NFL. All right, Hudson, you still there or did we lose you? I think we probably lost him. All right. Uh, and he had a great one for you. He was going to ask if broadcasting's going bald. I'll ask it for him because Hudson's, uh, Hudson's to everyone listening right now, you can't see the stream yard, but his camera died on him. I'm pretty sure his microphone died at this point. He's just, uh, I can unmute him and see if he pops back in. But at this point, yeah, he's gone. Uh, this is what happens when you prepare all day for the broadcast. You're checking the notes on Dan Horde, and you don't charge your camera. So I'm going to finish hey, it off. Oh, he's back. He's he back. is back. This is big time. This is You have one chance, Udini, to ask uh, Dan Horde the, the question about is, bald, is broadcasting going bald? Um Unmute yourself if you can. If not, I'm going to ask it for you, and we'll let Dan get on his way here. It happens sometimes. I don't know American Sign Language, unfortunately. Dan Horde, voice of the Bengals, voice of the Bearcats. A lot of Bearcats chatter tonight. I'm excited for the season that tips off on November 6th. Uh, year, let's do the math right here. What, what are we talking, year 27 at the helm for you, Dan? I guess if you include the TV, TV years, it's something like that. My first year on radio as the full-time voice of the Bearcats was the 2000-2001 season, the year after Kenyon. So I guess just going by that, it would be 24 seasons, something or 23 seasons, uh, whatever. My math is bad, uh, but it's been a tremendous run, and I hope I've got 20 more left in me. Joe Buck, I'm sorry, Jack Buck, father of Joe, legendary voice of the St. Louis Cardinals for many, many years. He probably did Cardinals games for 50 years. He stood up at a banquet late in his career in St. Louis, and he said to the audience, I've given the St. Louis Cardinals 40 of the best years of my life. Now you're about to get 10 of the worst. So uh, I hope it's something like that for me. Good stuff. And that is noted. Syracuse, the factory for broadcasters, not mathematicians. Dan, appreciate it. Enjoy the season, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the kind words at the beginning as well. All right, so this is Raw Reaction. Uh, Dan Horde has hopped off the call. It took about 15 minutes, but Houdini has hopped back on.
So we finished the broadcast, but first we have to ask, that was your moment, Houdini. We've been waiting on Horde for three weeks. I said, it's a golden goose of a get. You were fired up. You had a big question planned about his broadcasting going bald. And then as you're getting ready to start talking at the very end there, the mic and camera just fizzled out on you. That's, that's tough, man. That's tough. (laughs) I can't, I can't even, I can't do it. I can't do it. I fucking, I was sitting there prepping for Horde all day. My freaking camera dies. Not only my camera dies, my headphones, they're at like 75 before we start recording. They die. So I go, all right, fine. I'll flip to my freaking webcam and then flip to the damn speakers on the laptop. None of it worked. And then the, the camera comes on, but my mic's fucking off. So then I'm just doing this. Dan Horde's like, I can't speak sign language. I apologize. Can't answer your question. I've never looked like a bigger asshole. I am devastated. Just absolutely devastated. I think Michaela thought somebody died in here because I just started going, no, no. <laughs> just screamed at the top of my lungs. I unplugged everything like 60 times. And uh, yeah, apparently I had to like restart the whole damn thing for it to work. So um, yeah, onward from here, I guess. But uh, just a tough performance on yeah, my well, end I had, as far as getting I, Dan Horn I had up. the, yeah, I had the intro about Santa Claus. And like that, that's for both of us, like. Some people, if they saw Santa Claus, they'd lose their mind. For us, it's like you hear the, the you hear Dan Horde's voice, oh, and God. you're just ah. Oh. And, and Houdini had the chance at the very end there to ask about the 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 bald community, you know, and and ask him potentially about his bald Mount Rushmore. And he was just there flailing his arms, pushing a bunch of buttons. I mean, I thought you were gonna break it, break a nice china in your apartment. I hope that Michaela's okay in the corner over there, um, because that was a that was a tough scene. But fortunately, I'm a, a decent co-pilot, and I landed the ship safely. Dan was good. I said thank you for you. And uh, he said, that Hudson guy's a jackass. No, he didn't say that. It was all good, man. <laughs> good to have you back on board uh, to finish the show. Tough. Yeah, no, tough scene. So, yeah. Shout out Dan Hoare. That might be the last time he ever uh, allows me to interview him. So, um, you know, I, I tried. All right. He, you did try. Yeah, and you got some good questions in there while you had a chance. And now, here's where you really thrive. We're still working on the, because I, I'm a reporter for a living. This is what I do. I know how to ask questions. I know that double barreled questions are, you had one in there that you asked Horde. It was like 19 different questions in one. And my talent coach would have came through the computer and hit you in the face. But here's the thing. I'm also the guy that goes out there and tries to put skits on our Instagram and they all get cricks as yours take off and, and go regionally viral. So we all have our skill sets. That's why you're teaching me how to be a better skit guy. I'm teaching you how to be a better interviewer. And this is where you really thrive. Answering listener questions. This one's from Eric. Eric says, I recently wore a Pennywise clown mask at a Halloween store and was messing with my one and a half year old son. He was terrified. My son has slept like a rock from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. his entire life, granted short, and the last two days has woken up screaming bloody murder in the middle of the night. Did I scar my son, and am I a bad parent? Houdini, you have the floor with that one. Did you scare your son? Yes, Um, you certainly did. Um, Did you scar him? Yes. Is that a bad thing? No. No, it is not. No, because, I mean, I remember my grandpa, um, RIP to him. He's probably looking down saying, yeah, I did scare the shit out of you kids. He had us watch Halloween like when I was like nine, maybe, probably eight. And um, I, you know, honestly, good move on his end because we would go home and sleep at my parents' house. And that's who I would, you know, run into their room saying I pissed myself in the middle of the night because I thought I saw whatever Freddy Krueger in the in the doorway. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it, it starts them off early. It's like getting a kid addicted to cigarettes when they're like eight. So they never smoke them when they're older. Um, it's kind of in that same vein. So I think this isn't a terrible move. He should have waited a little bit because this kid might not be able to go out for Halloween for probably another six, seven years. A, a thousand percent. I think back to some of the things that scared me when I was younger. I don't know why I had an irrational fear for the hunter from Jumanji. I watched it when I was probably like five or six for the first time. And I would just, I'd be in the basement late at night. My dad would say, all right, I'm turning off the lights. And after he'd turn off the lights, I would sprint up the stairway so fast thinking that that hunter from Jumanji was going to turn around the corner and be like, oh, Alan, or whatever Robin Williams' name is in that movie. Um, 
I thought he was going to turn around with that gun and, and get me that hunter for years until I was probably like eight years old, which is pretty old to have an irrational fear from like, he was essentially like a, a comedy character in that movie. He wasn't right. even scary. Jumanji, not even a scary movie, up. but yeah, he, no, he wasn't a scary dude. It was like a, uh, he had this big old mustache. Like he honestly looked like an eighties porn star or something. And that's who terrified my dreams for literally the first decade of my life. And you know, that, that's you moved on to apples. That, yeah, you, you move on to apples. You grow into, you grow out of it. Eric's son is not growing out of it. I mean, he's going to see Pennywise in his sleep for the next ten years. I personally think it's a horrible parenting move. You got to know better than that. I know you think you're funny. I know you think you're taking an Instagram story for your friends. Oh, I'm going to throw in the Pennywise mask, and my son's going to be terrified. But you got to think about the son there. I mean, I was running around terrified of the hunter from Jumanji. Pennywise well, is a lot more terrifying than that. I mean, good God. I mean, at the same point, at the same time, though, George that, you know, wandered, you know, famously wandered into a sewer with a grown clown inside of it. He wasn't afraid of Pennywise and that cost him quite dearly. So maybe it's a good idea to get these kids scared so they're not, you know, hopping into sewers with other grown men. Right. So now he understands, hey, this is not something that I seem to, to like very much, so I'm going to avoid it. So it's kind of there's two sides of every coin. But, um, yeah, if I was the parent in this situation, just for self-preservation, he's going to want to sleep in your bed for probably the next six, seven years. Like he's yeah, going to be no, terrified yeah. of everything. Yeah, Eric may have a 17-year-old son asking to sleep in his bedroom. He's like, I see Pennywise in my closet. I really like the the cigarette comparison you made, though. That's uh, that's about as good as it gets. You get them started early so they don't want to do it when they're older. This man is not going to be watching horror films anytime soon. In a land far away, there live a rare breed of degenerates that voluntarily climb deep into the weeds for college football and NFL locks. Unabashed by betting on Connecticut Huskies plus 50 in football, and emptying their entire savings account on 14-game teasers. These are the Spread Hunters. Now's the time. You hear that music? Houdini and I ran through the weeds for four more quick picks. I went 3-1 and one, with the only loss being the Cincinnati Bearcats minus 5 against Iowa State in Week 1. Houdini went 0-3-1. So you could start us off. Just give us the four right away. I don't need much of an explanation, Houdini. Just give us your picks. We tally these things up as we go throughout the season. Boom. We'll start with college football. Like you, like I said, I'm, I'm going ranked opponents. I'm not doing UMass Penn State because that's bullshit. Uh, it was we'll an go, easy 20-point cover, but thank you. We'll go Ohio State minus four for all you Buckeyes. Ohio State minus four over Penn State. I know. Love uh, that. 91% of the dollars yep. on Penn State. 91% yep. of the dollars on Penn State. We, we love taking the house aside. Yep. And then we're going to go right after that. Boom. We're going Oklahoma minus. It's either 18 or 19 that you're probably seeing it right now. Earlier when I did this, I believe it was 18. Um, either way, whatever. Oklahoma against UCF. Uh, Bearcats, biggest rivalry somehow. If you go into Central Florida, they will literally try to knock you out if you're from the Cats. So those are my two um, college games. And then, Chuck, why don't you do your college games real quick so I can get up my list again? Because I went through a lot of investigation and research on these NFL picks. I want to make sure I get them right. Yep, we're going Tennessee plus eight and a half at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Look, Tennessee's not a bad football team. They beat Bama outright last year. The spread seems fishy. Vegas seems like they know something. I'm clicking on it right now. I'm looking at this before I'm seeing the sharp action. I am seeing that 47% of the bets are in on Tennessee, but 71% of the money is in on Tennessee. That's telling me that the big bettors are hitting the volunteers. I love that. I think they cover the eight and a half on the road. And if you're feeling very spicy, toss a little money line in a parlay. The other one I really like is the Houston Cougars getting 23 and a half at home against Texas. That just, to me, that's a lot of points. Three touchdowns and a field goal, potentially. Um, by the half point up to 24. I don't think Houston's good by any means, but 24 points at home. I think that is slightly disrespectful in a Division One football game. I'm going with that one. Then we'll go right to the NFL as you wait for your two. The Jacksonville Jaguars, they're getting a point at New Orleans. I've told you, New Orleans stinks. They're absolutely fraudulent. <laughs> 
I'm getting a free point on the road against Derek Carr. Sign me up. And then this one, everyone's going to laugh at me for this one until it cashes. The Patriots at home getting eight and a half points against the Buffalo Bills. Every single human being in America is on the Buffalo Bills. That's why I'm going with the New England Patriots. Close your eyes. Plug your nose. Just don't watch a second of this game and, and check the check the box score at the very end. I'm about to puke even thinking about watching Mac Jones play an entire football game, but that's okay. I am going to go. I tried to get cute last time. I'm not doing any of that bullshit. I'm, I don't care if these are homer picks. I'm going to take the Rams uh, minus three uh, against the Steelers. I don't think small hands pick it can handle it. Um, and then I am taking the Buccaneers. Well, Baker Mayfield action minus two and a half against the Falcons. Um, not to root against our boy Dez, but uh, I think it's a little early for him, as we saw. He, he likes to throw the ball to the other team a little bit. So going Buccaneers and Rams. Yeah, and Eric, if you're listening, no Pennywise clown mask tonight. Just turn on some like Thumbelina or maybe some Peter Pan for your one-and-a-half-year-old son. Get him back into the mindset of sunshine and rainbows. We don't need any more Pennywise. We don't want him going down the cellar with George. That does it for the chatter tonight. Chuck and Houdini. Dan Horde was on the show today. Uh, Houdini, sorry, Dan. any last words for me today? Yeah, sorry, Dan. Any last words for the people I'm, as the I'm music sorry, comes Dan. on and we get I'm kicked sorry, out of the Dan studio? Horde. I'm sorry, Dan Horde. I can't. I'll never forgive myself. I'm just going to go cry. So, yeah, that's it for me. I'm signing out. All right. Peace, buddy.